Welcome to episode 114 with the winner and course record holder of this year's Speed Goat 50K, a fixture of the Colorado ultra trail running scene, Ms. Anna Mae Flynn. Hello there and welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and it's my job to bring the world-class runners, coaches, dietitians, sports psychologists, physical therapists, best-selling authors, and other industry leaders from the running world to you to help elevate your running and bring your performances to the next level. And last week, I published an episode all about fueling featuring three ultra trail runners, Anna Mae Flynn, Abby Hall, and Abby Levine. Today, we're doing a deep dive with Anna Mae Flynn on the training that she does that's catapulted her to the top of the ultra running scene. She's actually relatively new to ultras, having started in 2015, but that debut was a top 10 all-time finish time at the Way Too Cool 50K. Now, she's sponsored by Hoka One One, Honey Stinger, and Sunto, and this year, She won the Speed Goat 50K in a course record time. I had the pleasure of spending an evening with Anna Mae Flynn moderating a conversation about recovery, nutrition, and performance in Boulder, Colorado about a month and a half ago with several other trail runners, and she's graciously agreed to continue the conversation here on the podcast. Now, before we move on, I want to thank Inside Tracker for lending their support to the show. Any runner who's putting in the work and progressing is going to be interested in Inside Tracker's blood testing kits. They give you a snapshot of what's going on inside your body and then can alert you if you're flirting with overtraining syndrome or have any nutrition or even hormonal imbalances. Best of all, they give you actionable solutions so you can optimize your training and get back on the road. Use code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout to save 10% on any test they offer at InsideTracker.com. Okay, everyone, on to our conversation today with Anna Mae Flynn. I want to recommend that you pay particular attention to how thoughtful she is about her training, racing, and overall career. The level of thought that she puts into her running is something that I instantly recognized as an enormous asset, and I think we're going to be seeing her to continue going far with her ultramarathon ambitions in the future. Now, even if you're not an ultra runner, you're going to get tremendous amount of value from hearing her thought process and applying some of these lessons to your own running. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Anna Mae Flynn. Anna Mae, thanks for making some time for us in your busy mountain running schedule to come on the podcast. Yeah, no worries, Jason. Thanks for having me here to chat with you and share a little bit about my uh, my journey. Yeah, well, we're going to dive into that. And it, <laughs> we're recording this at 11 o'clock local time. Have you already run yet today? I have not. No, I've... Uh just been making my way to a certain location that uh, I'll be spending the rest of the afternoon training at. Oh, very exciting. I think that's one of the cool aspects of running in the mountains and training there is that you can always travel a little bit and go find an incredible venue to do a certain run or workout at. Yes, definitely. So, And it, no, go ahead. to find diverse terrain can sometimes be a challenge. Yeah, of course. Now, Anime, we only met a couple of weeks ago, and here you are in the pod. I'm hoping we can continue our conversation from that Inside Tracker event where we met and talk more about mountain running and the lifestyle that it requires. 
because one of the things that I was really struck by after talking to you was how consuming the training can be for the events that you compete in. So what I'd love to do is talk in depth about what a typical or or maybe even a heavy training day looks like for you. Okay, so right now I've been trying to kind of wrap my mind around my own body and where my weaknesses are and where my strengths are. So for me, I like to spend three hours a day doing aerobic training. Um, And that doesn't really favor well for my body right now with just running. So um, I've been phasing in some biking before it gets too cold. So I typically spend about two hours biking and then about an hour running a day. I see. Okay. So you're pretty heavily using cross training to supplement your, your run training. I think that's interesting. And, and I think it's also uh, a good testament to you knowing your body and your own limitations. Um, you know, I'm, I was the same way. I, I, I couldn't really run over a certain mileage level and I would always get hurt if I did. So any cross training was really helpful for me. Um, now, do you typically run once a day or do you normally run twice a day sometimes? Uh, sometimes I run twice a day, but in a week, um, well, so this is a little bit different right now cause I'm in base training with potential for racing in November, or December, but, um, I typically sp- do one day off. So I'll take like Monday off typically. And then, um, like Tuesday is just a general two hour run. And then Wednesday, I lift weights. And then Thursday, run cross-train. Friday, run cross-train. And then I usually do back-to-back long runs Saturday, Sunday. Oh, I love it. So it just depends on what my recovery is ask- is demanding for me. So sometimes I'll split it up and do five in the morning, five in the afternoon, or I'll do some kind of you know, cross-training shakeout. Now, when you say you take Monday as a recovery day, is that a day where you don't do any exercise whatsoever? Or if you don't do any exercise, but you focus on recovery in a different way, what does that look like? Um, I typically take one day off completely. Right now, like I said, it's it's it just depends on how I'm feeling during base training. But um, yeah, when I take a day off, I don't do any aerobic activity at all or lifting. Um, and I just focus on, you know, getting a massage, um, eating well throughout the day. Maybe I'll sleep more that morning. Um, and just kind of check in with the body and really tune in to see how I'm feeling. Now you also mentioned doing a weightlifting day. Does that day have any running or other aerobic exercise as well? Um, during, my main like running phase or like getting into competitive phase in the spring. Um, it's just a strength training day. Um, but right now I mix it with swimming and, um, and then maybe some intervals. I think it would be very surprising for a lot of runners to hear that an elite ultra marathoner who's in base training is actually taking two days off from running per week. And so you're only running five days. Uh, you know, you might be running more more times than five per week. 
but the days that you're running are only five. What, what kind of mileage right. are you doing in those five days of running within a given week? I usually run about 70 miles in five days. Okay. So, um, yeah, it basically kind of allows me then to prioritize time on feet. So essentially training for a 50 miler is kind of where I'm aiming for in my training is to, to really execute, um, a, you know, a strong race or to really feel like my training is supporting a 50 mile race. So essentially I like to do those back to back runs and really build that, those weekend miles. So if I'm building my long run from, let's say 20 miles to then the next week, 22 to 25 to maybe topping out at 30 mile long run. And then like the day after I'll have a back to back. And I typically try to have my, um, my peak week to have the weekend be a 50 miler for a 50 mile distance combined. So it's kind of like, I'm essentially loading the legs for the time on feet of let's say a seven hour race or a seven and a half hour race. So I'm trying to kind of simulate that. Now, you know, when you that. do a back-to-back long run like that, is it, and let's say you want to run say 50 miles total, will you split that up and do two pretty much equivalent runs or does one run of the weekend look much different than the other? Yeah, it'll look much different. So like I'll like I'm always kind of focusing on phasing like I do a build for a long run um it's usually typically like five weeks or so and so like I, like I said I'll start at like 20 miles and then I'll try to get up to 30 or I'm constantly trying to push that process so if I'm starting to feel comfortable with that volume then maybe the next time that I ramp up I'll start at like 22 and then go up to like 35 or something. But I typically try to have that long run be really quality. Like it's like a Saturday. Um, or that's what I've been doing is having a really quality Saturday long run, which is focused more on speed or, um, similar to whatever race that I'm trying to race. Um, so like what I, that's what I did for like Sonoma was I just kind of I was like, oh, I need speed. So that Saturday long run was all about speed. And then the following day was just like, okay, I'm pretty tired, but this is going to be like the second half of the race when you just kind of have to throw down anyways. Um, so then I would safely build that second mile run or second run as or back to back run as well. So that maybe the first week it's 2010 and then the second week it's like 22 12. And then I just keep kind of building that up so that, um, a lot of my volume, like I said, is in that, that weekend or back to back, um, long run. So it sounds like that second run of the weekend when you're doing those back to back long runs is, is almost like a recovery run, except it's really long. Is that fair? Yes, that's fair. Yeah. So a lot of the quality comes on Saturday then. Okay. Yes. Now, when, when you're biking, when you're doing some of your cycling, because you're, you're kind of adding on to your training with that kind of aerobic exercise, what does that look like? Are you just doing easy rides? Or are you doing workouts on the bike? Is this road cycling? Or are you getting on the trail and doing some mountain biking? What does that look like? 
Um, so it just depends. I have three bikes. I have a road bike, I have a gravel bike and a mountain bike, which I've kind of accumulated over the past like 20 years. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it just depends. You know, I feel like on the mountain bike and the gravel bike, it's a lot heavier. And so I tend to not do any workouts or intervals and I just, just putting time on the bike or I guess you could say, um, just training that aerobic base in my heart. And so I, I tend to stay in my zone one or zone two heart rate threshold or area. And then, um, when I road bike, um, there's a few times within, you know, maybe a month where I'll do a specific inter like specific interval workouts on my road bike. Um, and that is really hard for me, <laughs> but <laughs> sounds um, hard. Yeah. And then I've been kind of getting in the practice of using the bike as a way to essentially tire out the, the muscles a bit and, and then work off the bike. Like I'll go from, you know, I'll do like a 20 mile warm up essentially. And then I'll jump into some really heavy legged intervals, run intervals. And that's something that I've, I'm just starting to experiment with, but I think it, I'm just trying to find ways to get that amount of time in to build, yeah, to build my fitness without thrashing my body. Because I think, I mean, everybody has different kind of bodies, but, and mine is more suited for like dainty, like rolly, fast terrain. Um, and I know that about myself. So hammering in the mountains every day is not something that I can do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard terrain being called dainty. I think that's great. <laughs> yeah. I remember well, talking like to you fancy, at fancy footwork, yeah. Yeah. At the uh the Inside Tracker event where, you know, we kind of talked to a bunch of runners about all kinds of different topics. Uh and you were very adamant that the base phase of your training, you know, the the volume, the uh the zone one, zone two, basically just easy aerobic work was such a fundamental piece of your training. So uh, I'm glad that we we're able to kind of go into a little bit more detail on what that looks like for you. And uh, I, I love that you're using the bike so strategically in your training. How do you feel after doing like a 20 mile ride and then getting off the bike to do a run? Because that's like a triathlete workout. That's a brick workout. And I know that it's really challenging. Your legs just feel incredibly heavy after an effort like that. Yeah. Um, so I, before I started ultra running, I dabbled in triathlons, so it's not unfamiliar to me. And I feel like a lot of my base training before getting into racing ultras came from triathlon training. So it's just something that I'm like, I can use or utilize. It's like in my like will set, um, as to speak or so to speak. So, um, yeah, it basically, it's just like a mental, it's a mental challenge, I think more than anything, cause you're, you just want to be able to have, you know, lighter legs and feel quicker, but I, it's just kind of like, um, 
trying to think of like another comparison. Like if you, I don't know if, how you would assimilate that if you're just running, but, um, yeah, it's hard. Um, yeah, it, it's hard, but I think, I think it pays off when you're feeling a little fresher and then you go back to that interval or that, you know, that Strava segment on fresher legs and then you really crush it and you can kind of see where your fitness is. And so, um, yeah, I think that cross training is fairly underrated in ultra running. Um, and I also think like weight training is also underrated. And so I think I'm kind of playing both worlds by doing the bike to run, um, type brick workout. Yeah. And no doubt that the extra types of exercise that you're doing, the weightlifting and the cycling, you know, whether that's on the road or, you know, with your gravel or, or dirt, but I'm sorry, your mountain bike, you know, you're just becoming a better athlete, a more well-rounded athlete. And no doubt that has an impact on your ability to cover technical, challenging terrain in the mountains, just because you have a better and a more wide ranging skill set. And, you know, you have more tools in your toolbox to really pull out when you need them. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think cross training is very underrated, not just for ultra running, but, you know, for all running, you know, you can use cross training for recovery, you can use it for boosting your general aerobic fitness, or, you know, even like how you're doing it with just, you know, tiring your legs out and, and really getting in, you know, almost making it a more specific workout for the demands of the sport that you're training for. So I think it's really smart on your part. And it's a great way to recognize what you're capable of and what you're not capable of and, and working around that. So I think it's super smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think just like, the humility too of getting on a bike and trying to tackle an interval and then, you know, looking at Strava and being like, Oh, I'm not even in the top 20. That's, that's great. <laughs> you know? So, and maybe it's the bike, maybe it's, you know, it's a lot of things, but it's also like, Oh, I have some weaknesses. Like I can't put down, throw down those kind of Watts. And so it's, I like to have a challenge and not to say that running, in itself isn't a challenge, but it's like, well, if I can make some ground in this other endurance sport, then it should also translate in my running sport. Cause I'll just be fitter and stronger. Yeah, definitely. There's a, there's a Strava segment that I like in golden. It's the uh, summit of lookout mountain and yeah. I'm getting my time down on my road bike up the summit of lookout just took two minutes off of it about nice. two weeks ago. Um, but I'm still ranked like 6,400th yeah. or something like that. So it yeah, is very right. humbling. And, and I think that's yeah. important for runners sometimes. Yes, I agree too. <laughs> now, um, <laughs> now, anime, I know uh, for many ultra runners and particularly, uh, uh, particularly trail runners, vertical gain is, is a big metric that's usually tracked. Is this something that you pay attention to too? Definitely. Yes, I... Um, and I think it's just based on the season, like being a mountain athlete is, um, I put so much vertical work in, in the winter on skis. Um, so, you know, when spring comes, it's almost like I have the opposite kind of feeling where it's like, okay, I'm tired of going up and down the mountain. Now it's time to, to get some flat speed. Um, and so even now that it's fall, 
I kind of have that feeling of like, okay, it's time to work some speed. Like I want to get on the track here soon and just trying to get in some flat time because once it starts snowing here, um, there is no dry land really as to, to speak, um, hardly any dry pavement. Um, and so then it's, yeah, all about vertical world. And I have, yeah, some, some data points that I'm always kind of like the 70 mile range for running. I have something equivalent to that in the vertical world on skis, but, um, yeah. So when you're just running, let's say you're not, you know, focusing on vertical when you're doing skiing in the winter, but you know, it's a 70 mile week. You're in either base training or, or kind of competition phase training. What, how much vertical might you get in a given week? Just combined with cross training too? Uh, sure. Or, and, and if you know the breakdown, I think it's just interesting yeah. to hear the, the data. Yeah. So I think I'm somewhere around 15,000 vert gain running. And then with cross training, 20,000. So 20,000 is like my average year round. Um, and then when I'm training specifically, like maybe four weeks or five weeks for, um, a specific race, then it may be more like 10,000 running, but then I'm pushing like 80, 90 running miles. So I'm really focusing on the quality of speed versus just up down. Um, yeah. Does does that level or amount of vertical gain, how is that spread during the week? I know you tend to do a lot of running on the weekends with back-to-back long runs. Is it mostly centered on those days? And do you do any like formal hill workouts or is this just all, you know, rolling terrain and running up and down mountains here in Colorado? I would say I have at least two targeted days where it's just vertical gains, like where I'm either doing laps on Aspen mountain or I'm in marble and everything is up. So it's hard not to get 5,000 feet in, you know, 15 miles or so. So I typically get the bulk of my vert in two days Um, and that's on a Monday through Friday. So I try to bank vertical miles before the weekend and then kind of assess like, what is it that I need? Um, what am I, what are my goals? Like what race goals do I have? And what does that race profile entail? And then that definitely that Saturday long run is, like I said, is targeted towards whatever race that is. And there's not very many races in the U S at least that have that kind of the kind of profile that matches the terrain that I train on. So I typically have to travel, um, like at least an hour from marble to get on some rolling terrain. Um, so it's a little bit of a challenge, but so I would say it's like harder to get fast miles than it is to get vert so just by where I live it's that's just how it works like I just accumulate vert and regardless of what I do (laughs) 
Right. So. And it certainly helps living in the mountains. We should be clear yes. on that. You actually live out in the mountains. Not like me. I'm in Denver. Everyone thinks I live in the mountains, but, <laughs> you know, the mountains, I can yeah. see them, but they're very far away. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. how does altitude impact your training? Do you try to use it in a specific way for your benefit or maybe other ways try to mitigate its effects at any time? I try to do, like I said, like Monday, Monday through Friday, I try to, you know, stay up high and I sleep up high at 9,000. And then if I'm doing a, yeah, I do use it to my benefit and that, um, I will try and do my track workouts like 3000 feet lower, like 6,000 feet. Um, and some of my specific like long runs, like I'll go travel to Fruta in the winter, for example, and, um, do some like 17 to 25 mile runs, um, at, I think it's like 5,000 there. And I'll, my goal is then to push it a little bit more. Like I'll have specific goals where I'm trying to get some more turnover or push some of the hills or mile repeats within my run to make it more of a workout. Cause it's, I feel like it's, I work against myself too much. Um, trying to do those kind of workouts, um, in marble at 9,000 feet. I don't think I'm getting, I'm getting the gains for how much work I'm putting in. If I'm trying to do any speed workouts up there. Yeah. You need to actually be able to run fast to get the valuable benefits yeah. from speed workouts for sure. Yeah. Now, do you ever, since you sleep at 9,000 feet, that's just where you live. Do you find that that altitude negatively impacts your sleep in any way? Totally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I have to be really careful with that actually. Um, it's definitely, um, interesting that it's almost like when I'm not training a lot, I have a really hard time sleeping consistently. And, um, and then when I'm in this like perfect spot where I'm training, like 15 hours a week, then I can sleep pretty well. But then there's that tipping point too, where I'm like maybe slightly overreaching or in an overreaching state, which happens a lot when you're really trying to push yourself getting ready for, um, race season. Um, and then I can like, it's almost immediate where it's like, I'm sleeping really well, sleeping really well. And then interrupted sleep, interrupted sleep, feeling really tired, headaches, like almost like a hangover feeling. Um, and I've learned over the past three years how to kind of adjust to that and to recognize those signs and to back off and like give myself a, a day off or you two. You must sleep like a baby at sea level. <laughs> yes. It's crazy. When I go even to 6,000, sometimes I'll go to, to Tahoe, like, or when I left marble and went to Tahoe and prep for Western States, even though I didn't do it. This year, um, I slept for like 10 days straight. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, and and yeah. that's 6,000 feet. That's not even close to sea level. Yeah, but like 6,000 is, I think, is that sweet spot. Where it's <laughs> you like, must love coming to Denver, right? <laughs> yes, I do. I like start yawning as soon as I get to Denver. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I think with all the training that you're doing, the cycling, the vertical gain, the running, being at altitude, what do you do to focus on staying healthy? Because I, I assume that this level of work can 
wear you down and, and put you at an increased risk of injury. What does your injury prevention whole strategy look like? Um, I say number one is um, focusing on 80% of my weekly volume being in zone two. So for me, like I've done a threshold, aerobic threshold test. And so I know where my heart rate needs to be um, for majority of my runs. And um, so essentially, I break down the number of hours. I typically do hours because it just makes more sense for me if I'm cross training as well. And then I'll, I'll literally say, okay, well, I've now I've got two hours worth or three hours worth or 15 or two hours or less than that, not 15 hours, but of time that I can spend above this heart rate um, zone. And so I think in the past, I've really gotten myself into a, a situation where I've been over that overreaching into the overtraining zone before. And so I really know what overtraining can do to your body and how it can really, really negatively affect your body. And that also has affected or impacted how much I race a year because I used to race a lot more. And um, so I'm really focusing on quality workouts every week as well as quality races and being happy with those results regardless of how well I do. And, um, and then, and really, like I said, like listening to my body. So for me, it's like I can put in 20 hours a week or more if I really wanted to or had the mental strength, which I'm working on right now is like, okay, you've got eight hours today. Like just get on your bike and move. And I don't really feel like if I eat well, so I eat a lot of protein um, right after my workout, um, which workout, not meaning like high intensity, but just any aerobic activity. Um, and that is one of those um, markers that scientists have um, pinpointed to supporting athletes, or especially at the elite level, but any level from going into that overreaching, overtraining. So that's essentially, I guess my recipe is just like 80% zone two um, protein intake right after aerobic exercise and um, weight training. And I haven't had any, any issues. The only issues that I really feel are after a race um, where it's like, okay, where's my body at? How, how much time do I need in order to ramp back up? And when do I need to, um, when can I throw in workouts and, um, and then finding that balance, which I'm still trying to figure out. Well, I think the weightlifting is certainly a big part of the injury prevention strategy because, you know, with all the aerobic work that you're doing, you're really helping kind of strengthen the muscles in a, in a different way that's less stressful than the running Definitely. and the cycling itself. So I think that's huge. And the fact that you know your body and are taking one or two days off per week from running is is another great way to kind of help that recovery process along. And, and really what you're doing is you're polarizing your training. You're making those days that you are running, particularly on the weekend, pretty hard. But then yeah. when you do have rest days, 
you're going pretty hard on recovery and rest. You're not doing any aerobic yep. exercise on Monday. You're weightlifting on Wednesday, or if I got the day wrong, apologies. Yeah, that's but yeah, right. I mean, you're really focusing on things that supplement and complement running that also have more of a restorative effect on your body, like weightlifting and, you know, just all that time off. So I think that's really mm -hmm. smart. Yeah, now, it's like the adaptation, you know, it's, it takes a long time for the body to adapt. And then there's so much breakdown that occurs. And it's like, one system could be, um, you know, at a different level than the other. So it's like, my muscular system in terms of strength is has been really, has been really has been supporting my aerobic strengths and fitness, but it's still not in the position that it needs to be in order to like help me take off to that like next step. So you can really use or that next level of training and racing. So it's like, I've really had a lot of time to reflect on this season. And even though like, I think, you know, people may argue, well, you've had a great season, like just keep doing what you're doing, but there's always somewhere to improve. And it's like, I know now that, I can go out and I can run three, four hours a day if I, you know, it's not something that I can't do, but my, my body, my muscular stru structure isn't going to support that. And if that's something that I want to do and it may take a few years to get there, maybe my late thirties or, um, early forties, then I need to put in that foundation now. Um, and that happens to be in strength for me. So I love it. I love it. You really yeah. understand your body. And you, it seems like you have a very long-term perspective on your running career. So, um, you know, I, I haven't asked you how old you are, but, you know, you're thinking to your late 30s or your early 40s. And so that's certainly in the future. And, you know, you're kind of looking at, you know, what you have to do now to enable the training in the future that will then enable you to race where you want to be. And I think that's exactly. just a very strategic way of looking at things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I could totally run, you know, at a whim on a whim, you know, even with Western States this past spring or summer, it was like, I could do it, but there's definitely some weaknesses that I need to attend to if I'm going to go from seven hour race to an 18 hour race. And I think that that kind of conversation and that thought process should happen more. Um, but it, I think it's just how the sport is. There's just this, you can do it, just go for it kind of mentality. And um, that's just not how I operate right now. So <laughs> do you think that ultra mountain running is in a stage of its life where a lot of people are doing a lot of different kinds of training and nobody knows exactly what kind of training might work best. Whereas, you know, if you look at the 1500 or the 5k or the 10k, these track and field events, you know, we kind of know how to train runners for those events. And when you get folks up to high altitude on very challenging terrain with incredible elevation changes, that really changes the game. And the the training, I don't think, has caught up to the sport itself. Do you? How do you think about that? I I would agree a hundred percent. And I'm I'm think I'm I'm still kind of a newbie. I think this is my sixth year racing ultras, but um, just from reading like 
some blogs or like Anton Kaprichka, I can't say his last name very well, but um, he has admitted like he wished he would have biked more. And I mean, he threw down some like amazing amounts of volume and training and has accomplished so much in his career. But I think we also are finding that the, the injuries that ultra runners face are much more severe and, and chronic than I think we have admitted or talked, have talked about, um, or it's not like really published or discussed, um, in-depthly, especially with those elite runners who are not racing as much anymore and, um, and have injuries that, you know, are challenging for them to be able to race at the level that they used to race at. And, um, and I can kind of feel that with myself. Like I've, like I've said, I've had a little bit of overtraining syndrome last year and it scared the hell out of me. (laughs) I was like, just woke up one day and I was like, my body was gone. Like everything that I could do was gone. So I had really spent, I think that's kind of where my, my new training perspective has come from. Um, since then was like, okay, I can't keep pushing, pushing, pushing because it doesn't really, it doesn't, doesn't help me reach my goals. And it also can negatively impact my daily life. And, um, and so I'm kind of playing around with that idea of just finding the right balance and training for 50 miles or a hundred miles is yeah. Like there is no, you know, Bible or book on how to effectively train for that type of distance. Um, and everybody's bodies are different. So, um, being a coach now, I'm finding that I am bringing another perspective to my athletes and just, you know, helping them understand that it's okay to not run as much and to have some more down days and to, yeah, to essentially build in strength and cross train and to work essentially on just that aerobic capacity, um, and not get too sucked into that, that culture of, you know, running miles, 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 because it can undermine what you, all the time you put in to the sport, you can push, push, push and put all these miles in. And essentially you can come out less fit. Um, and that is a product of the demands of mountain terrain of running uphill and your heart rate being too high of, um, pushing yourself when you think it's, uh, or you're saying it's an easy day, but you're still running faster than you should. And I think, um, reading about marathon training on just flat terrain, it's a lot easier for coaches to predict how fast athletes should be going on the recovery days. Um, but, and that's something that I've really looked into and, um, and have basically 
come to the realization that most ultra runners run too fast <laughs> on their training days. So, well, I think this is an important conversation to have, especially because, um, you know, ultra running and especially mountain ultra running, I think is, is now becoming a lot more popular than it was maybe 10 years ago. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think a lot of the, the ultra runners, you know, they're, they're doing similar mileage levels as road marathoners, except they're doing it on technical terrain at altitude. And so, you know, it doesn't take, uh, you know, a little over two hours to do a 20 mile run for these elite level athletes, it takes much longer than that. Yeah. And because of the altitude and terrain, it's not like you're running that much easier, even though your pace is a lot slower. Because of that, your heart rate is still really high. So you're essentially just, you know, making all your training 50% longer almost. And, you know, something's going to give uh, when it comes to that. So I think it's really easy to say, hey, if you want to be a great marathoner, you know, run 70 to 100 miles a week. Whereas, if you're an elite mountain runner doing 70 to 100 miles a week, that oh gosh, could yeah. be a really fast way to get burned out or injured if you're not careful because of the terrain that you're practicing on is just so extreme. Yeah, I would agree. And I think, I think we're, we're seeing those limitations and I, I hope that we're entering into this new era in ultra running where athletes are, showing by example and being open about how to train effectively and how to, um, how to treat your body. Right. Because it's, yeah, it can, you can put yourself into a, a major hole and it's like, I can almost, I mean, the way that I see it too is like, so if you think of, um, marathon runners, you know, they're racing at, 515 pace or six minute pace, then 80% of their workouts are, you know, at seven minute, 730 pace, you know, for recovery, which is pretty fast, you know, for us or for ultra runners, you know, for a seven minute or 730 minute pace recovery um, is essentially if you think about it is faster than how fast we race. And that's something that I've been really thinking about is like for like Sonoma, I ran, I think on average nine minute pace. And if it, if I'm training most of my recovery days at seven thirty pace, then I'm essentially overtraining. And so I've really slowed down and been like, okay, you know what? 10 minute pace, 11 minute pace average is perfect. That's where I need to be to build my, to, to recover and to build my aerobic capacity. And then when I do workouts, then I can challenge myself in the six minute, 530 range on flats. And then maybe like eight minute pace, eight thirties uphill. And then on race day, it's like there's that in between where it's like, you know, some miles I'm running 637, but hardly maybe 3% or 4% of my entire race is running that fast or racing that fast. And then the bulk is like 830 to 930, you know, so there's that too. Like, why are, why are we, why are so many elites, or at least that's what I'm seeing, you know, publishing on Strava that they're going on a recovery, their recovery days are like seven, seven thirties, 
to 745, you know, and that's something that I was programmed into when I first started running ultras was like, oh, you know, here's some women that I look up to. This is how fast they're going on the recovery days. And then they're hitting 630s, 7s, like pretty much 80% to 90% of their week. And, uh, and then I kind of got roped into that. And I didn't really, I can say like I raced way too cool was my first 50K and I ran a four hour, um, four hour effort. And that was coming off of uh, triathlon training, base training and not very many running miles. And then I spent a whole year training with that mentality is like, okay, I'm just going to train like these two women or three women who are at the top of their game. And then by the time I came back around, um, to that following March and ran way too cool, I ran a 3:59. So I only PR'd by a second. And I was so, I was questioning like why I should be fitter, you know? And then that kind of put me into another hole where then I started to push myself even more and run even faster. And it was like, I think I ran like Sonoma that spring in 2016 and ran a seven, I want to say a seven thirty five, And that was, so that's three years ago. And now I've dialed back much. And then I got into overtraining 2000, 18 and then flash forward another year after so essentially when you go into overtraining you're you start at ground zero or in the negatives like you have to build back your fitness so then I last year I didn't do you know starting then I didn't really do any workouts until like March and I was kind of weary of it of like pushing my heart rate and then ran like Sonoma and ran like a five minute PR and so I'm three years older ran a PR still have a lot of work to do, but at least I think like it is possible for me to improve and get faster, but I need to train better. And I may have set myself back by pushing myself so much over the past three or four years, but at least now I've caught myself and I'm working on slowing down and improving my base fitness in order to get fitter so that I can lay those faster quality workouts on top of that fitness, my base fitness, if that makes sense. Anime, I'm really struck by how much thought you put into your training and into, you know, what you're going to do over the course of a year and what you'd like to do in one or two or three years. And and thank you so much for just opening up and sharing all this with us, because I think it's really fascinating to hear how a, a runner like you thinks about uh, overtraining and how you can continue improving over the years where, you know, I think you know where you'd like to be. And it's just fascinating hearing the process by which you're hoping to get there. So, so thank you. And, you know, because you've talked about overtraining a lot and you, you seem to be really careful with your training, I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, what your recovery looks like at the end of a season. So let's say you run your your goal race, it's your A race of the season, and this it's this Saturday, and you're done. What does the next week look like for you? I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, I'd say for a 50K, no matter what, I take a week off. And for a 50 miler, I take a week off, but I'm starting 
to, so let's say I did a 50 miler yesterday or this past weekend, I would take two weeks off. So that was a goal that I've, so it's interesting that you're saying like, yeah, I'm thinking longevity, um, is that like one of the mistakes I've made with like Sonoma was not taking enough time off and thinking, okay, now I've got a hundred. I need to just like push through, but I have like written down some goals for myself for next year. And it's like 50 K no matter what a week off and 50 mile or no matter what two weeks off. Um, and so that's nothing like no, nothing, no aerobic, no, nothing, just eating and sleeping. Um, and then I also would like to place value on how much time it takes to build back, um, and how much, how much effort I put into that race effort and how, and how long it will take for me to build back so that I'm not putting myself more in a hole if I race two, two months later, three months later, um, at an equivalent effort, you know? So I, I think, um, and this is kind of a ramble or rant, but with TNF coming up, that's been on my mind a lot was like, okay, they just kind of, I'm putting, I put a little bit of pressure on myself thinking, okay, last major ultra I raced was in June. Um, you know, I should be able to race in November. That's enough time. But I'm noticing now that it really does take a lot to build back that same fitness. And, um, essentially what I do is for a marker or to know when I'm ready to kind of even look at a calendar and like book a race is I have certain workouts that I do that if I hit those times and that's, I mean, I am aging and I'm slowing down. There's other factors, but for the most part, if I like feel good in this specific workout, then I know that I'm back to fitness and I'm I'm, it's time for me to launch off that and I can start to, to really ramp up or to really get into a swing of things, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now you mentioned TNF. What is that? Oh, the North Face 50. Oh, okay. It's a no, it's a November and you know, it's a pretty stacked field and you know, essentially every female that I know is doing it <laughs> or everybody that runs ultras is going to be in it. So you know, I've gotten a couple of questions. Oh, are you doing North Face? You're doing North Face. And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> and it's like, I should know by now, but it's, it's also like another one of those things. It's like when you start training in racing ultras, you don't see the year as a 12 month year. You see it more cyclical. And so I'm already thinking about next spring and, you know, I'd like to try you know, to go for Western States again, or maybe PR at Lake Sonoma, or maybe go abroad and do some races internationally. And, um, I just, like I said, like I, I know where I need to be to be fit and I know how that feels. And I know those workouts that I need to do in order to like test myself. And I've done a little testing lately and it's like, I could definitely make North face 50 work, but then I would probably be more in a hole if that makes sense to where 
it's going to take me longer to get back to that, that fitness level that I'm, I want to be at in order to kind of propel myself off of that and to have like a successful season that's more than one race. So, um, if I start now and just work on building base and base as in spending a lot more time doing recovery miles, then, um, then I'll be more ready to tow the, tow the line, you know, in the future. So are you really prioritizing next spring over this fall? Yes. Okay. Definitely. Do you, do you have anything on the schedule this fall or are you still just kind of in the building phase and, you know, things are just up in the air and you'll say maybe to races? Yeah, it's all up in the air. And I think essentially, um, I can, I've put a lot of pressure on myself this year, um, because my contract ends in December. So I have some of those conversations that I need to have in November and, So, you know, I haven't had that conversation with my boss about, you know, is it a make or break if I do North Face or not? Um, But in the the moment, I don't feel like that's something that I need to do in order to, like, prove my self-worth. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of there's money on the line, but if I think more long-term then it's like I could be more successful next year if I start now and put in the time. And if you think of it this way too, is if I'm putting in the fitness right now and not racing this fall, then I'm going to be in a better advantage than all my, than all the athletes racing or I guess my competitors at least that's what I'm saying in my mind is that like if I hold out more and which is sometimes hard to do because there's a lot of um there's a lot of you know it's a lot it's very uplifting and that instant gratification of like getting into that race and performing well um feels good but um I think being more reserved and spending the time to grind it out for five to seven months um, is also really rewarding because it's essentially like you get to that start line and you, you just know, like, I'm so fit and so ready. So it's like any obstacles that are thrown at me in the race, it's like I'm able to mitigate those pretty easily because I've dealt with all of that in training and so I'm just more ready than more, more equipped than like going into a race 50, 50, where I'm like, okay, well I can hurt. <laughs> All I know is I can hurt bad and I can push myself, you know? So, um, I'd rather have more fun racing at this point <laughs> than to just throw myself in and, and see what happens. And hopefully your sponsor, your boss, whoever that might be, is appreciative of your long-term outlook and will prioritize, you know, your longevity. And hopefully you being able to run more competitive races in the future if you're able to spend more time on training now. Anime, I had a really fun time talking with you. This is, uh, you know, admittedly an area that I'm still learning a little bit more about myself and 
you know, like I mentioned when we first met a couple of weeks ago, I've, I don't have any ultras to my name. I have a, an unfortunate DNF, but, you know, talking <laughs> to you and hearing about the runs that you do and God, I love following you on Instagram, by the way, your, uh, <laughs> your Insta stories on where you're running every day are just gorgeous. If, um, if folks want to stay in touch with you to hear more about your training and your racing, where can they go? Yeah. Instagram is a, probably the most interactive platform for me. So I'll, I'll have a blog that I'll uh, sometimes post to Instagram, um, Facebook, uh, it's just anime Flynn. And then, um, I think my Instagram is also anime Flynn. So, um, yeah, those are the two that I, I typically post to anime. You got to plug your Strava. Come on now. Oh, and my Strava. I don't use it as much, but um, when I get more into loading back up, I'll I'll be more on Strava. But I've just been taking a little bit of a break. Yeah, for sure. Well, this is uh, like I said, this was really fun. Thanks so much for sharing so many intimate details about your training and your recovery and how you think about training and recovery, which I think is the most fascinating part of all this. And I think there's a lot of really, really good uh, nuggets that our listeners can pull from this episode to better inform their training, whether they're training for an ultra or not. So thank you again. Yeah. Thank you, Jason, for your time and best of luck to you and, and training for your ultra. <laughs> we'll see if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> and there we have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if so, an honest review on Apple music is incredibly appreciated. As always, you can find show notes, links to books, resources, training programs, videos, and more that we discussed on the show at strengthrunning.com. I also want to thank Inside Tracker for sponsoring today's show. They're a health analytics company that tests for over 40 different blood biomarkers. And based on your physiology, they offer you custom solutions to help you optimize any areas that might be outside of what your personal zones might be. So if you're training for a difficult race, maybe you want to ramp up your recovery because you haven't been feeling very good, or you're just a passionate running geek like me who's always looking for more ways to improve you can get 10% off any test that they offer at insidetracker.com with code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout. It's not case sensitive, and it can be used for any tier that they offer from the affordable do-it-yourself kit to the ultimate package. Just use code STRENGTHRUNNING to claim your 10% savings at Inside Tracker. Just don't do what I did and get a bunch of blood drawn in the morning only to go summon a mountain at altitude an hour later. Some lessons just have to be learned the hard way. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. And as always, if you have any feedback or questions, don't hesitate to reach out. My email is support at strengthrunning.com. And I'm always here to help. Talk to you soon. <laughs>